good to be with you guys again tonight. I always love coming here. I travel all over the world, but one of my favorite places to be is in the basement of the ranch. <laughs> it, it really is. It's one of my favorite places to be. I feel really honored tonight because I get to introduce one of my favorite people in the whole world. Um, it's an interesting way how we met. Vinay Boda is here tonight with his wife, Rina, all the way from Hyderabad in Andhra Pradesh, India. And most of the stories I have about places in the world I've been have miraculous connections that have no earthly explanation apart from the divine appointment of God. And that is how really Vinay and I became friends. Um, in 2000, God spoke to me and said, I want you to go to Los Angeles over the 4th of July. I'm from a town in Grantsburg, Wisconsin, of a population of about 1,200. So it is not the desire of my heart to go to L.A. over the 4th of July. That's when our family plays at the lake and water skis and tubes and picnics and have fun with our relatives and friends. So I told God, I am not going to L.A. over the 4th of July. I'll go any other time that you want me to go, but not then. God kept pestering me for a month. I literally had an argument with God about a month, and he said, I want you to go then. Finally, I waved the white flag and said, okay, I'll go, but it better be worth it. <laughs> At the same time, God was speaking to Vinay's parents who lived in India, Christopher and Rambai Boda. They had no money. They were living on $20 a month. How are you going to get to the United States on $20 a month? Um, they met a travel agent, a Christian one, who believed in their ministry and said, I'll tell you what, I will buy your tickets for you, $1,500 apiece, and I will give you $500 of cash for spending money. You go to America and you'll meet somebody. God will connect you with someone, and I believe that you'll be able to come back and pay for the tickets and the money that I'm giving you. So Christopher and Rambai flew to America not knowing anybody, not having any connections, coming on blind faith with the belief of this travel agent that they'd meet somebody. They ran out of money and were back at the airport on standby within a week. They had met no one. They were very, very discouraged and depressed, wondering why did God send us here? Um, Christopher, Vinay's dad, had a, a calling card that had enough on it for about two more phone calls before they would be back on a plane without being able to pay $3,000 in airfare and 500 in cash. So their second to the last call was to a Korean church. You can imagine how many churches are opening up their doors over the 4th of July weekend. And this Korean woman answered the phone and said, I'm sorry, um, we don't know you, we don't support Indian missionaries, but I'll tell you what, I know a place called the U.S. Center of World Missions. I will come to the airport and pick you up and bring you there and pay for a couple of days. And so that's where I was over the 4th of July. I was wondering the whole four days, why am I here, why am I here, and one day I see Vinay's parents. And I went up and introduced myself, and I said, what are you guys doing here? And they said, um, we don't know. And I said, that makes two of us. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I'm here either. 
And um, then they went on to say that they represented an unreached people group in India, one of the lowest castes in the country, considered untouchables. Literally, Christopher's people are viewed in India as lower than rats. Um, they would be the biblically, biblical equivalent of lepers. And so um, as a result of that meeting, um, Vinay's mom and dad came to the farm and um, lived with me for a week or two. And God formed a relationship, a friendship, and I ended up in 2001 in January going to India where I met Vinay, and he was about 14, 15 years old at the time. Um, his family's story is a miracle. There's no human explanation for his family story apart from the unbelievable power and grace of God and of parents who stepped out in... I've never learned more about faith from anybody in the world, um, more than I have learned from his mom and dad. They have stepped out in faith like no couple I've ever met. And so it is an honor and a privilege tonight to introduce to you Vinay Boda. I'm so proud of him. I can't believe that I get to introduce you instead of your dad. Come on up, Vinay. And bring, bring Rena up with you. Um, Vinay and Rena have been married for about a year. They just celebrated their, their first anniversary this last week. <laughs> over to them let's pray father i thank you for Vinay and for rena i thank you lord for the journey that you have brought them on i thank you so much for allowing me the great privilege and honor of being their servants um one of the greatest honors i've had in my life is to serve Vinay's dad and his mom because they truly have been raised up like moses to be a deliverer for the Banjara tribal gypsies. Um, your hand has certainly been upon them as it is upon um, Vinay and his wife. Thank you that they have grown in wisdom and in stature and in favor with both God and man. I so look forward to what you have to say to me and to us tonight um, through your servant. And so we are sitting, Lord, with open ears and open hearts eager to be challenged by your spirit as you speak to us through Vinay tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, brother. Uh, is it okay if I hold it in my hand? Yeah. So, hey, guys. Uh, like I've been introduced, my name is Vinay, Vinay Boda. Boda is my last name, and for people having a tough time getting my name, it's Rene with a V. So, yeah, there you have it, Vinay. And my wife's name is actually Srujana. It's more like a seashell, seashell on the seashore, a tongue twister. <laughs> <laughs> but we call her Rina. But her actual name is S-R-U-J-A-N-A, Srujana. And yeah, once you are born an Indian, and you have a lot of tongue-twisting going on with the language. <laughs> so, uh, I am so glad to be here. Uh, especially thank uh, the leadership here, Paul, 
and uh, I am so honored to be here. It's my first time actually um, speaking to people of my age group or, you know, around my age group and such, uh, such a beautiful gathering, willing and uh, committed young people, young adults. I don't know why they call us young adults. I seriously don't. <laughs> and yes, uh, for people who still have that thing in the back of their mind where, you know, Indians don't talk wobbly wobbly. <laughs> seriously, I really do not appreciate Hollywood picturing the Indian guys talking like that. Seriously, they don't, actually. You never see, welcome to 7-Eleven. No, no, they... <laughs> You really don't see that. Uh, I don't know why the Hollywood guy started it, and now it's been virus, you know? Uh, but uh, it's funny, I know. You get a laugh of it. But uh, the reason I'm able to speak a little bit better English is God has provided me to get a chance to study at Liberty, Liberty University, Lynchburg, Virginia. I was in a work scholarship, working for 54 hours a week and my classes. And, yeah, that's wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to wow you guys tonight. <laughs> Yes, you know, our Liberty coach goes like, look at you guys. He, he was talking to his team members. This guy comes from India, learns basketball, and he's way better than you guys. <laughs> in, in six months, I could dunk. <laughs> Back in India, I could, we don't have like basketball that much. It just it's just creeping in right now, but uh, yeah, I played basketball. I was a bit good, <laughs> uh, better than the people over there, and I was my coach's pet kind of day. And uh, uh, I also had the opportunity to stay in the exact room Toby Max stayed in. Yeah, Toby Max from Liberty University, and uh, once they were doing a concert I think yeah and they had this thing going on where you know all the concerts for the Liberty students is like seriously cheap it's like five dollars for getting a ticket and they did that thing where you know lucky five could play basketball with Toby Mac and DC Talk and I was one of them again <laughs> and Toby Mac looks at me like that <laughs> but we had a good time uh, so I been Americanized um, maybe my Physical appearance doesn't say that much, but yeah, I can pull your legs and play with you guys and make fun of you. But still, I'm not, that's not the reason I'm here today. That is totally not the reason I'm here today. I am actually, once again, overwhelmed with joy, overwhelmed with nervousness. <laughs> and yeah, where's that bottle of water, please? <laughs> I'll just put it by my side. Thank you, ma'am. A bottle of water. <laughs> Not a plastic bottle. So, uh, uh, is that thing ready, sir? Yeah. First, uh, can you please look it up? It says, Born in the Mud documentary. I want to start up with, uh, I'm going to leave you guys in 30 minutes. Is that okay? Yeah. Born in the Mud documentary, not the PowerPoint. Uh, you go to the... Yeah, don't throw off the ending. I'm going to start you off with a story, actually. Then I'm going to share you the most favorite verse that God 
you know, uh, put on my heart. It's my, like, super-duper favorite. Of course, the whole Bible is, but that thing is really close to me, that one particular verse in Ecclesiastes. Of course, you might have heard that. I'm still waiting, going to deep sleep. Okay, uh, I'll start you out. Till that thing comes up, I'll start you out. I'm going to tell you a story about a little guy, a little child, um, from where I am. Uh, and uh, his name is Kishan. K-I-S-H-A-N. Kishan. It's a Hindu name, obviously. Go to the very first one, please. That's the first one? I think so. Yeah, we're good then. So Kishan, Kishan is from the same people group that I am. The people group called us Banjara. We Banjaras are pretty much called as the gypsies, you know, and like any other gypsies that you might meet in person or see in TV, we like to party, we like to dance, we like to get drunk and spoil our lives. So there's literally no education, no literacy. And there is no proper planning of life. And people get married at a very young age. Barely they start growing their mustache, but they want a girl with them. So, you know, it's the hormone thing. And uh, people get married at a very young age. And the average life expectancy in India right now, it's high 60s, low 70s. And I've been meeting people here who are like 93 and still able to dry, I'm like, wow. <laughs> because, yeah, you guys are blessed with some good food and good nutrition, pure air. India is like polluted, not only ethically, but even in natural resources. Um, you know, the stable rice, uh, the stable uh, food is rice. Before, back in the day, maybe 10 years ago, we used to get that brown rice, much more organic, much more healthy. Now, even the rice is so polluted. All you get is that polished, looks good, like really shiny, but there's nothing good inside. And a quick trivia, in the world, India is the diabetic capital. And in India, Hyderabad, the city that I live in, is the diabetic capital. Uh, so 7 out of 10 are prone to get diabetes. 7 out of 10. Yeah. So... Um, I got a little ADD. I just go off on a tangent sometimes, but forgive me for that. So the average life expectancy is like pretty low. So um, this boy, Kishan, he was the eighth out of ten children to his mom and dad. Well, not a big deal. But it is a big deal when you do not have a consistent or a sustained livelihood, means of support to live. And, of course, when your father is a drunk and mother does all the work by going into the nearby forest, get some firewood chopped on, and she, you know, uh, puts aside a little bit for her, for her own use in the house, and whatever's left, she goes to the market and sells it and makes like 2 or $3 a day. So with that, she is dragging. She is, the whole responsibility of her house is on her shoulders, and Kishan's dad Kishan was born on one day when it was raining when his mom went to chop the firewood. This is actually a documentary. So we had some artists create art, 
So I'm just showing you those pictures. So that's Kishan's mom delivered him on the side of a road and chopped off her umbilical cord. Is that what you call it? With two stones like that. And she was about to throw the baby off because that was number eight. She already had number seven, and that was number eight. But at the last second, she saw it was a boy. You know, in India, having a girl is a burden. You pay for her college, you pay for her school, you pay for her food, you pay for her everything. At the most important mountain is when they get married, the dowry system. You know, you pay. Actually, it started out kind of like um, a gift of appreciation where the girl's father goes like, hey, I'm going to give you my girl, but just in case you're not settled yet, here's a little something to get you started. And over the time, it kind of changed as more like a, less like a gift and more like a demand, you know? So the groom kind of literally, uh, you know, uh, demands money out of the girl's, uh, girl's father saying that if you don't give me so much, I'm not going to take care of your girl. And, you know, you're not going to be all around. I, I can do anything with her. And that opened doors for domestic violence and even killing of their own wives. Yeah. So that's the reason having a girl child was a little bit frowned upon. I am number one in my family. I have two younger sisters. Of course, dad prayed, God, if you want to give me a son, I'm going to, you know, submit him to the ministry. And God gave me to my parents. Then dad prayed, God, give me a daughter, maybe, you know. Then my older sister, Christina, came into this earth. Then the third time, I was like, God, water is fine, <laughs> you know. <laughs> then Crystal, my youngest sister, was born. And the time she was born, uh, when my mom was in the labor room, the nurse comes out after the delivery, and she goes like, sir, you have a daughter again. <laughs> That's the response, you know. That's the attitude. It's, it's like that. So Kishan, being the boy, he was saved. He was you know, about to be discarded, just like trash. Please go to the next picture. And that is a typical Banjara family. It's just imaginary, not a, uh, it's just a work of art, but very close to the real, real ones. Maximum, uh, they look like a toupee, toupee, or is that what you call it? Yeah. Yeah, my English is good, getting there. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Not so fast, please. Well, actually, maybe they're out of, out of order. Okay, go to the next picture, please. That's when she was, you know, pregnant and going, uh, getting back from the firewood, and after that, the baby was born. And go to the next picture, please. So that was Kishan's dad, the uh, big guy, and it was due to one missionary who came to Kishan's village, who, who had like I don't know, ten or fifteen families at the maximum of fifty. In, and the reason we call ourselves or the society calls the Manjaras as the untouchables because we are not allowed to stay anywhere close to the other caste people. Like there were days when one of us used to walk through their neighborhood or the higher caste neighborhood. They used to punish us severely, even with death. There were days when one of us used to drink the water from the same lake that one of the higher caste people used to drink. They used to punish us, even death. 
that has subsided maybe a bit but even till today there is caste system so much like this for example say this brother and i are equally qualified for a job and even though i have the leading edge and if i am a banjara and if he's some somebody i'm just saying it's just an example yeah no hard feelings yeah so even he he is uh, even though i have a leading edge maybe my grades are good but the chances are 90% he gets the job more than i do it's still like that today so the caste system the government recently started this thing called the social security number you guys already have it but in india they're trying to you know catch up with you guys but you know it's not going to happen but uh they did the whole census thing we are 1.3 billion now in our country yeah there is a population crisis going on and they did this social security number where you have to list out each and every thing about you that includes your 10 finger fingerprint your retina scan where are you from who is your mother who is your father how many siblings what's your permanent address what's your present address and most of all what's your caste and when you need to go get a job put up a job application you need to show that card it's there with me right now and when they scan it in big bold letters it shows what caste do you belong belong to so it's still like that they people are trying to trying their best to eradicate it but i don't think we're going any, anywhere with that so they live at the outside outskirts of neighborhoods or societies and once one missionary came to their village saying that you know um banjara kids are pretty much left on the road like that one brother you guys prayed up there that you saw somebody outside a poor guy you know trying to get some space something like that that's a typical scene in a banjara village even though they have their parents people are left on the road and this missionary comes in and goes talks to kishan's dad saying that i understand that you have eight or nine children but uh, i cannot take all of them but i can randomly pick out couple of them and i'll take them to my school i'll give them food education of course the love of christ then of course a hopeless father who doesn't have a proper living goes like yeah sure you know two people gone that makes you know i'll i'll be left out with two paise or something you know that's the attitude they have so they're like yeah please take all of them but the missionary even could not and he said okay i'll just take three so the missionary picks out kishan the boy that i'm talking about and his younger brother and the youngest brother so kishan was number 8 out of 10 can you go to the next picture please so kishan along with his two other brothers gets his education a pair of clothes kishan had his first pair of pants when he graduated high school till 15 years he had two pairs of clothes one on his body one on the clothes line so he used he started getting ed- education and one more thing one random lady whom he have never met has sponsored kishan 20 cents uh, no 20 rupees i don't know what that is a dollar is a 70 rupees right now as of today so 20 rupees almost 30 cents maybe 30 cents every month for 13 years and that helped him get his education his schooling tuition food shelter and of course the love of christ because that was a christian missionary school next picture please 
And Kishin was a very athletic boy. He played soccer. And of course, bare feet. So to make a long story short, he got hit on his shin. And that, sh uh, that wound was untreated because he had no money. And those days, by the way, no anesthesia. You could literally feel the pain of every stitch and every blade that's, that's in your... Yeah. So he had a very bad wound, and he had no money. Even his parents, you know, they were like pretty much disconnected from him. Because they were just like, phew, now I only have to take care of six children. That's what the attitude was the parents about. So he got a very bad uh, hit on his shin, and long story short, he, the doctors have to amputate the leg. It cannot be treated. And uh, I think it was gangrene or some really bad disease that uh, infected the whole leg. So the doctors had to amputate it. Next picture, please. And the night before the amputation, doctor comes to Kishan's room and says, Kishan, I am going to pray for you today because he, uh, that was a Christian missionary school and a Christian organization. I'm going to pray for you today, and I'm going to tell you about somebody who you never might have heard of, and that's Christopher, uh, that's uh, uh, Jesus Christ. And that, uh, that was the first time he heard the gospel. And that was the first time he had somebody praying over him with tears in, the, in his eyes. That kind of made a little more touching, you know, attachment to them, to him. Because till that day, not even his parents, nobody actually cried with concern. Even though he was pretty much on the streets getting no food at all and, you know, left to dust. Next picture, please. And that night he prayed. And that night, Kishan goes to the bathroom and he goes like, okay, uh, Lord. I heard you for the first time. I hear you that you're a great God, and I, I hear that you also can heal my leg. So if you do heal my leg, I will, you know, serve you for the rest of my life. That's the dedication and the, that's the commitment he gave himself. And as you might have guessed, God did a great, great miracle. Not a single stitch, not a single blade on his leg. His leg was completely healed. And that's a miracle. And that's, that's, that's done, I think, within six months. Six months, he was up and running, playing soccer again. And next picture, please. And Kishan comes back to his home. By the time Kishan, he is, I think, 15 or 16, maybe in his high school. You see he's still wearing shorts. So he comes back to his house. Shorts in the sense, uh, what I mean is, in India... You get to wear pants only after plus one or plus two. So Diane has been looking at me, watching me since I was wearing shorts. That means that young. So uh, going back to the story, they come back to their house. He, uh, Kishan come back, uh, com comes back to his house. And uh, his father, of course, they're all you know in the world, no Christianity. They were still Hindus. So his father goes like, wow, our Hindu God has healed you in such a mighty way. Now let's go to the local pilgrimage and shave our heads. Because that's the offering they give to the Hindu gods. So 
if you cannot give them money, if you cannot give them a sacrifice, blood sacrifice, you shave your heads. No man, no woman, there's no difference. Everybody shaves their heads. But Kishan made a commitment to Christ that he's going to serve. He accepted Christ as his savior. He really didn't want to go there. But forcibly, Kishan's dad and his older brothers forced him into the train. And as you can see, Kishan jumps off from a running train. Next picture, please. Three days later, Kishan's dad and his brothers come back with shaved heads. And there Kishan is sitting right in front of their hut, uh, starving, uh, cold, and, you know, literally dying for food. And they are so much drunk, his dad and his brothers tie them to the two posts that, you know, uh, give the opening thing to the hut. And they beat him for hours, literally. Like, beat him to death. And they were so tired beating him, they collapsed, pretty much. And in the middle of the night, it was Kishan's mother who comes up with a knife, goes like, your dad's gone crazy. You better run away from here or else in the morning he's going to kill you, pretty much. So that night, Kishan's mother cuts off his ropes and gives him a morsel of food or whatever. He has some porridge or morsel of food. Then Kishan runs away. Next picture, please. And Kishan comes to Hyderabad, the city in South India. And he meets this person, a very kind, generous person, Dr. Samuel Buraga. He is the director of Bharat Bible College. It is a Baptist seminary where it encourages and gives students who are from the backward community a helping hand by giving them work scholarship. You get to work and at the same time study for free without any money. So in BBC, he got his bachelor's in theology and also his master's. Next picture, please. And don't forget, now, you guys ready for this? Keshen was pledged to a woman when he was 10 years old in marriage. So that's the woman Keshen was supposed to marry. You ready for this again? I met my wife a week before my marriage. Yeah, that's a big wow. That's, that's some faith and trust in our parents. My marriage is completely arranged. I saw her for the first time like one week or two weeks before the day we exchanged our vows. And we don't have a problem putting our faith and trust in our parents for the most important decision in our lives which is marriage. Because even though how bad a parent is, how bad you know he can be in domestic uh, abuse and all that, a parent does his best to find the best for his daughter or son. And they completely put their trust. We don't have a problem when my mom and dad goes like, okay, Vinay, I saw um, we are praying for your marriage and God has put in our hearts that she's the one then I go like yeah you're, let your will be my will no problem and the reason and one more reason that I want to add it up tomorrow when we are going to have a problem something that we cannot fix our parents are going to jump in and try to fix it so there is no divorce pretty much in India that's the reason divorce is very very rare 
And in India, we live by this one policy. We live once, we die once, we love once, we get married once. That's it. End of story. So it's like, thank you. Uh, it's like remarrying is pretty much a sin. And you could get, uh, you could be an outlaw for that. Yeah. So get back to the story. Uh, Kishan. Kishan was pledged to this woman when he was 10, and 12, uh, 10 or 12 years old by two drunken dads in a party. Yeah, that sounds crazy. So when he's of age, when he's ready, he's a young adult, young adult. Uh, these three random people come up with a girl in, fr- in front of his uh, house. He was like, are you Kishan? Then he goes like, yes. Well, this is your wife. Then he goes like, what? <laughs> <laughs> then they explained that you know they were pledged to each other and they were supposed to get married. Then Kishan was like, okay. But now that Kishan is a Christian, the first question was, are you a Christian? Then the girl goes like, no, I don't care. Then Kishan goes like, all right, no, then. And the answer from me is, sorry, I cannot marry you. Why? Because as a believer, I want to marry a Christian, a girl who is in Christ. And she got very mad. Her father is a rich guy. (laughs) Yeah, he's a really rich guy. He can do some stuff. So, uh, Kishan gave her the New Testament. That time, still, the whole Bible was not, not available yet. So, he gave her the New Testament. For six months, she rejected it. But after six months of constant communication through mail, Kishan finally got her to convince and accept her, uh, ac- uh, her to accept Christ as her personal Savior. So pretty much in, he, she was her first fruit in the ministry. And of course, you could, I tried to make it sound like suspense, but you know, Kishan is nobody else but my dad, Christopher. Yeah, you guys figured it out. Yeah. Yeah, I see you're, yeah. Yeah, you're smart. Are you, are you, are you eating rice? Okay. Because you know, eating rice will make you smart. Seriously? And the curry? That might stink a bit, but no problem. Yeah. The person who's standing in front of you right now, who's me, of course, I have two bachelor degrees and two master's degrees. So it's the rice, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Whenever you get a chance to eat rice and curry, go for it. Don't hesitate. Maybe it'll burn your tongue for a bit, but... On the long run, you, it's worth it. So, <laughs> yeah. So, mom and dad get married soon. And next picture, please. Yeah, they, uh, that was the first Christian marriage in our area, in our state, pretty much. And, yeah, next picture, please. And, yes, they start out their ministry in a small hut where dad is still working with that organization who gave him work scholarship, you know, that institution. And dad had the same burden that Diana just mentioned Moses had. Dad had the same burden that Jesus had. 
for his people. The institution that he was getting his education from, it was not confined to a group of people, but it was like an open for everybody thing. And they were making him work as a church pa- associate ch- church pastor at a local church with, you know, 20 or 30 people inside. But the whole time, the whole time, there was something deep in his heart, which is piercing through his heart, saying that there are so millions and millions of people in my community, in my group, who are dying every day, not even getting a chance to know about Christ. I mean, accepting Christ is a far thing. At least know about Christ. Getting them exposed. Never get to hear about them. A quick question. You know, I always kind of wondered, there are people, like in the deepest parts of Africa, maybe in the deepest parts in Vietnam, or in the deepest parts of India, that people never had a chance to listen to Christ. Who's going to go for them? You know, what What are the chances that they will be... Because getting accepted, uh, accepting Christ as a personal Savior, that's a personal choice. That's a personal choice. Every individual should do it with their own sound mind. But uh, at least they should know about it. They should know about this community class. Is that... Uh, what was the thing here? Communitas. They need people need to know that there is something called communitas going on here, so they can come. Unless and until you don't, why did that brother come up here and said the announcement that there is going to be a barn dance, there is going to be a Christmas party? If you guys don't are not informed about it, you might not go there, and you know get the benefit out of it. In the same way, if people are not informed about Christ, then how will they reap the benefit? That's a question and a challenge to you guys. Uh, we'll continue. We'll continue. And later on, next picture, please. So finally, he goes to the guy who gave his education for free. Let, he goes like, sir, yes, I do deeply appreciate that you have given me free education with work scholarship. And I did work for you maybe for a couple of years. But now it's time for me to go and work among my people. Then he said, no, you're one of my best. You know, I cannot go let you go. Then dad goes like, no, I, I want to go. Then he goes like, no, I'm not going to let you go. <laughs> then dad goes like, no, I will go. <laughs> then he goes like, all right, I'm not going to give you your certificates. Then dad goes like, I don't care. Then he left. So all his education for five years, he had a bachelor's in theology, master's in theology for three years, bachelor's in theology for two years. All his five-year education worth that certificate, he still doesn't have it with him. Because he, st- the director, still has it with him. Then dad goes like, I don't care. I deeply, deeply appreciate the wisdom, the Bible knowledge that I you know, learned in this institution. And that's good for me. I have a Bible in my hand. That's the tool that I need. So he went out. Went out for personal evangelism church planting. In the different, different villages of Andhra Pradesh. That is the state that we live in. And it's in, a, in and around Hyderabad. That is the city that, that we live in. And good news is Hyderabad and Secunderabad are also called as twin cities in India. <laughs> that is the only twin cities in India. Yeah, the reason why they call it is Hyder, Hyder Ali and Sikinder Ali, some history. Uh, they are twins. 
they were these big landlords before we got our independence. We got our independence in 1947. So we were still pretty young, 60 years old, maybe 63, 65. Yeah. So uh, we live nearby Twin Cities. And that starts this ministry going from door to door, door to door. Can you next picture, please? And he starts a church with a thatched hut. And people were increasing. And people were, you know, willing to help in whatever they can so they can make it look like a place of worship. You know? Next picture, please. And he also started Bible trading. With the knowledge that he had, that he got, he carefully selected the people. Because, because one more thing I want to add is right now in India, right now, like back in the day, there was burden and there was this willingness for people who wanted to come forward and do the ministry. But now the deal is, hey, what do you want to become? I want to become a police officer. Well, you got to do something for it. Write an entrance exam, do the training, and chances are maybe if you don't do good, you will not be a police officer. Then he goes like, okay, you're not a police officer. I want to be an engineer. Well, you do your engineering studies, your program, your entrance exam. You don't make it. That door's closed. Okay, I tried police officer. It didn't work out. Engineer, it didn't work out. Something else didn't work out. If all the other doors are closed, then they go like, okay, now I'm fit for nothing. I'll go do ministry. That's the attitude that we have presently. Back in the day, like in my father's generation, maybe 10 years, 20 years ago, there were people willingly coming forward. They had the passion, they had the burden to come forward. But now it's kind of commercialized, if you know what I mean. So dad carefully picked people who are capable, people who are willing with the passion, with the burden. And he started this uh, personal pastor training and evangelism. Next picture, please. And that's Dad's picture. Almost the real one. <laughs> uh, actually, I skipped. Uh, next picture, please. All right. Maybe it's... Can you close that and open the PowerPoint? Okay. But while that was going on, the evangelism and everything, once Mom was getting her groceries from the market and sees these three children on the roadside, hopeless, naked, hungry, crying, deceased. They were the Banjara people. And they had no parents. So that, that, that night, Dad comes home and says, I remember having only one son. Where did these three come from? <laughs> because Mom got those three kids into the house and she started feeding them. And it was through Mom the orphanage started. It was three people, three children, three kids, and that three became ten, ten became fifty, fifty became hundred, hundred became five hundred, five hundred became thousand. Today, we have fifteen hundred orphans getting their food, education, shelter, and most of all, exposed to the salvation and the love of God. So, ladies and gentlemen, allow me to introduce Banjara Tribal Ministries the organization that my dad and my mom founded in 1991. I'll just skim through just a quick, and I'll just share that f favorite verse of mine, and we'll close. 
This is Banjara Tribal Ministries. Our key ministries include orphanage or taking care of the children. And of course, it was never dad's idea to start the orphanage. It was mom's idea. But still, there is personal evangelism, church planting. So he can go on. This is the typical Banjara. These are all real pictures, by the way. There's no nothing art. These are all real pictures. Typical Banjara women look like that. We are very, very, very colorful and uh, like to dance and music happy. But that's just the outward thing. Inside, very poor, have a bleak, bleak future, no hope of surviving more than 60 years because of the alcoholism, because of the caste system, Pretty much people, our, the society, you know, treat us like rats, like Diane said. Like, pretty much like dust or garbage. We're not supposed to walk through the higher society. We're not supposed to share the same space, road space, air space, even water. So, uh, roughly, roughly an average Banjara person makes three or four Maximum, if it's a good day, he makes five hours a day. Next, pic- next slide, please. And today, that's BTM. That's a huge uh, property with 11, 11 acres of property. By the way, that's all started with the incorporation and the prayers and the foundation of Diane Brask. Like she just told... Like she just shared, when that property was, you know, dad had this thing in his, uh, this piece of property in his mind. And he goes like, God, I do not have two pennies in my pocket, but I want this land. I want to make this as a haven or, you know, a secure place for my people. And he used to get up in the middle of the night And he used to walk on his knees all around the 11 acres. And in the morning, mom mom used to scream because he had busted and bloody knees all over his bed. Why? Because he used to go and pray, God, give me this property so that we could do something about it. And it literally, Diane saw it firsthand, the pain and the efforts and the prayers that went into that piece of property. And that stands as a home for more than 1,500 orphans. Apart from the widows, apart from the personal evangelism, the church planting, and the pastors. Next slide, please. And we expanded. We have expanded by the grace of God. Because there used to be just BTM. Of course, it stands for Banjara Tribal Ministries. But BTM now has been too crammed for 1,500 so in BTM1, which is an all-girls campus, have 830 students, all girls, keeping in, the, keeping in mind how girls are treated like in our community as a burden. Next slide, please. And this is BTM2. God has blessed us with another piece of property. Yeah. Yes. Sorry, it happens. That was just a burp, not something you think. <laughs> all right, uh, that's, that's BTM2. BTM2 has all boys, starting from kindergarten through seventh grade. 
470 of them stay in BTM2. They have all the facilities inside, which includes school and dormitories, playground, and the necessity and everything. Next slide, please. That's BTM2 again. People sitting there and doing their prayers, or I don't know what that was. Next slide, please. This is BTM3. Yes. Yeah, it keeps going. We just started. <laughs> BTM3 uh, houses 300 boys starting from 8th grade till plus 2, which, is, which in India we call it junior college. For us, high school means 10th grade, and plus 1 and plus 2, we call it junior college or pre-college. Then comes the college part. So this is till junior college. Next slide, please. And of course, there is the church planting and there is personal evangelism, which was dad's original call. We train, we equip able or incapable pastors with a one-year training program. And they go and they, each pastor travels about 60 miles every two, three days. And he covers about uh, at least three villages at least three villages around the 60-mile radius. And he takes care of three churches every Sunday, one morning at 8, the second one at morning 30, 10.30 or 11, and the third one at evening 6. And each pastor covers about three, three or maximum of five villages in a day. And, of course, during the weekdays, he you know, uh, does the backup work, visiting them frequently and... Uh, uh, knowing their needs and praying for them, Bible studies and all that. And surprisingly, if there is a able number, uh, if there is a decent number of uh, church congregation, we try to build them a church. But the property over there for the church is donated by the locals, which is a huge accomplishment, especially in a country where Christianity is minority. That's some good accomplishment. So a church like that costs about $500, I mean $5,000. But that includes the parsonage where the pastor can stay inside, maybe a room till this couch, from here till this couch. And they stay inside. And they are overwhelmed with the facilities they have. Next slide, please. And this is a little bit more of the uh, evangelism uh, going from village to village. The, m the main way to attract our Banjaras is by music. And Dad's gifted by voice. And he wrote 600 songs in our own Banjara language. Uh, it's not on YouTube yet. <laughs> <laughs> Next slide, please. And, like I told you, women, girls, are treated as burden. So, apart from the Education and apart from the orphanage ministry that we have, we give girls a little extra helping hand. Right now, medical field is booming in India. Everywhere you see doctors and nurses, you know, from India. And we started this nursing school. By the way, like I told you, my mom's father, pretty rich guy, uh, he made mom finish her nursing program. So mom is a certified head nurse or a staff nurse, which is the highest level of nurse. And with her experience, 
she goes like, why not, you know, start a nursing school? And since it is a professional program, and we are monitored by the government every year, we are allowed to take only 30 seats per year. And yeah, that, that's the deal everywhere. Uh, so all the 30 seats, yeah, one quick thing is, there is this huge, huge hospital in our state, which is called Gandhi Hospital. People are dying to get in there to get a job because it is a really good hospital and get really good pay. So it's like the most demand and the most hospital, uh, the, the hospital with the most demand for jobs. Yeah, yeah, something like that. But you know what? Gandhi Hospital waits for our nursing school to graduate a batch. So they just recruit our students every year for the last seven years. So you can say that our nursing school, nursing school has been uh, top number one in the state for the last seven years now. And of course, nursing is a field where it's pretty much a Christian job. Nursing and caring for, you know, you have these huge opportunities where people who are in their who are in their sickness or maybe no no offense but in their older age where they try to set things straight so that's an opportunity where you go like hello sir how are you feeling today are you a christian do you know christ no there's nothing to laugh about here it is an opportunity to tell about christ and the accomplishment and the results we see are mind blowing so this is like a huge opportunity where they tend to share or witness people in their later stages of uh, life. Next place, please. That is a truck, flatbed truck, with 100 bags of rice, each bag consisting of 200 pounds, and that'll do for two weeks for BTM. That's how much rice is consumed for two weeks, in BTM 1, 2, and 3 combined. So you can get a picture of how many people we have. Next slide, please. And we have this children, of course, coming from different, different heart-touching backgrounds. You know, in a, uh, there was a time where a girl child was sold as slaves or sex slaves or prostitution for 20 rupees. Once again, $1 is 70 rupees. So you do the math. Less than 30 cents, you could buy a baby, a girl baby. For 50 cents, you could buy a boy baby. That's the pathetic situation our people face. So in an effort to eradicate that, in an effort to, you know, do something for our people, BTM was found or it was started. Next picture, please. And the, and the facilities these people have, they have these boxes, not maybe a little bit bigger than this thing, these steel boxes. You can skip through the pictures. Uh, where those boxes is all they have. It's pretty much their possession. What they have is like maximum three pairs of dress. One is a school uniform, and two are the normal dress that they can wear during the day. And that's the rice cooking, of course. And uh, they barely have 
enough food to eat. They barely have enough clothes to wear. They barely have footwear, but never complain of anything. What, whatever they have, because they have faced much more deprived conditions in their past. They have faced much more harsh conditions in their past. And they now come to BTM with a ray of hope. And of course, we try to provide whatever is in our strength. And they are grateful for it. And this is, of course, the missionaries that we provide them with bicycles, you know, doing 60 miles in two, three days on foot. I don't think so. So we give them bicycles so they can, you know, expand their reach. Next picture, please. This is the 2012 batch of missionaries who graduated. We graduated around 32 or 35 last year. Next picture, please. That is BTM today. And that's mom and dad sitting in the front. <laughs> so, yeah, you can see the pictures or listen to me. I'm done almost. <laughs> uh, I was about to tell you something. Yeah, my favorite scripture, of course, it is from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, where it says, Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Why is that? Why is that, King Solomon said, in the days of your youth? I, I, I'm, I'm guessing pretty much all of you know the answer, too. Because there is this song in India, and there is this song here, too, by Casting Grounds. I like it. It goes something like, Let my life song sing to you. What's that mean? I, I, I understood like this. Correct me if I'm wrong. It means my life would be a song to sing to the God, to sing to our Lord. So tomorrow, right before I you know, got on my airplane, Dad comes to me and gives me this emotional pep talk. He goes like, and by the way, Dad's facing some severe health issues right now. So please do remember him in his prayers. And... Uh, yeah, he goes like, Vinay, God might give me another 10 or 15 years of life, but maybe if the Lord comes back or calls me home, whichever is first, I need to have an answer when he asks me, Vinay or Christopher, I have given you 60 years of life, and you came to know about me. What did you do with it? Then we should have an answer for it. That's, that's, that's the thing. You know, Casting Grounds might be saying the same thing. My life song or all the stages of my life, it should reflect Christ in every chapter, every page. It should say, you know, maybe day in my days of my youth where I am strong and fit. And the song that we have in India, it goes something like, When I had my strength, I did not work for Christ. When I had my sight, I did not read his word. When I had money, I did not give to his ministry. But when everything is gone, I want to, when my strength is gone, I want to go do ministry. But my body doesn't, you know, let me do that. When I have money or when I don't have money, I want to give to ministry. But now I don't. So something like, 
Why do why does King Solomon says remember your creator in the days of your youth because when you're fit and good and you know ready to go that's the day that's the that's the age group or that's the uh age where God is calling people like us to his ministry in any way possible you know like it says Somebody has the gift of teaching. Somebody has the gift of preaching. Somebody has the gift of nursing and taking care and giving and whatnot. There's so many. We are the body of Christ. Every every man cannot be a head. Every, you know, in the kitchen, everything is not a spatula and everything is not a bowl. A bowl will do what a bowl is supposed to do and a spatula will do what a spatula is supposed to do. I like cooking. That's why I took up the kitchen example. Yeah, I can I can cook. So so what I'm trying to say is what I can do, maybe Paul can do, or what Paul can do, I can do it, or what brother can do, or he can do it. You know, we are all the body of Christ with different, different talents and different, different vision and passion and callings for God. The only thing that we need to do is, you know, find out what our gift is and how well are we using it for the ministry. The calling for my mom and dad was the children. Because children are treated like liabilities in India, not like assets. But we make them into assets. How? Well, I would say, well, that's my family picture, by the way. Uh, How is the 10 years or the 12 years this orphan stays in BTM, he will be exposed to Christian teachings, learning songs, learning Bible stories, and he when he graduates from high school or when he leaves BTM, he'll come in as a boy and leave like a man, a man in God. And he goes back to his village and plant a new seed and which turns into a fruitful tree. That is what God asks us to be, to be a fruitful tree. What's the difference between a tree and a fruitful tree? Well, tree doesn't have fruit, but a fruitful tree has fruit. So if the fruitful tree doesn't have a fruit, then there's no difference between a tree and a fruitful tree. So are we trees or fruitful trees? That's the question. That's the challenge I would like to leave you guys with. Because all we do is like, all right, don't, don't give to our ministry, but do something that you can. I'm not, I'm not here filling. I'm here filling up my dad's shoes, like I told you, because he's facing some health problems and my recent... Uh, Board meeting. I'll I'll close. Just give me a minute. <laughs> My recent board meeting, they appointed me as the vice president for BTM and also the director for international relations. So yeah, I've been to America to study before, maybe on a uh, pilgrimage or you know just to see and have fun and get reap the benefits. But now here I am again on a mission, on a mission for Christ. She's just twenty-two. She still she comes from a very different background, like I told you. If anybody's interested in how we met, that's gonna take five dollars. I'll meet you outside. We'll do it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, so she comes from a very different background, but see how God connects us. I mean, take us apart. Two people, mom and dad, two drunken dads at a party, vow to each other and see how God connects and how God. You know, make something so fruitful. So I just want to challenge you guys today. Let us be fruitful trees. Thank you. You can stay up here.
we want to pray for you. And can you come up too so we can pray for you as well? Also, a couple people can come up if they want to come and pray as well over them if you feel so led. So, Father, we just praise you for our brother and sister. God, thank you for what you're doing um, in their lives. Father, thank you for working in and through them and for for bringing them together. Um, Father God, making them a team. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you uh, continue to fill them up with boldness, with vision, um, and with passion to, to reach those people who are degraded, Father God, but you have... You love them so much, Father God, these, these untouchables, this lower caste system, Father God. We um, proclaim freedom over that, God, and we just ask that you raise people up to come in and help bring liberty um, and justice in India, um, Father. We need you, Father, in there, Lord. So Holy Spirit, continue to, to anoint them, um, to, to minister to the poor and the poor in spirit. Be with them and strengthen them. Father, we also pray um, for Vinay's father. We proclaim healing into his body, um, Father God. We, we thank you that you are a healer, um, Holy Spirit. And we just ask that you just come and you touch him. And whatever is wrong, whatever is wrong, we proclaim full restoration. Full restoration in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Let's give him another round of applause. Earlier today, Jeremy came into my office, and he said there's a guy down the street who's poor, and um, just wondering about bringing him tonight, maybe having him stay either here or in my van. And uh, as I thought about later, I, I thought, God is speaking to us about the poor today. And then in the evening, in the prayer time, as we began to pray, we'd never prayed for the poor before, and... Uh, God was speaking to us about the poor. And we hear a message that shows us a group of people that are the lowest of the low. And uh, I felt before going into the prayer meeting tonight that there's something on God's heart for us, not for me, not for you, but for us, that God is asking us to respond to. Don't have it clear yet. I think it'll be more clear tomorrow night. That's why I feel it tomorrow night. I understand if you can't be there, but I think it's going to be an important meeting for us just to consider what the Lord is is speaking to us because he spoke to us tonight. He gave us a message. Not, It's not exactly clear what the steps he wants us to take, but I want us now to be in a moment and just a, a, an attitude of prayer. Let's just turn turn these lights out here. And you can just give us some background there. If the Lord speaks something to you, write it down, or you're welcome to speak it out. I wouldn't be surprised if the Lord might give us a prophetic word. Just be in an attitude of prayer. Listening prayer.
God wanted us to hear this tonight. I was scheduled to speak. Diane called, and as uh, she said, well, there's a young man from India that's available. Karen and I talked about it, prayed about it, felt like this was the Lord's plan for us. And so, God, we're walking in your plan, and we're simply listening to you. We've acknowledged that we haven't been in the harvest as you've wanted us to. And you know, you know our heart. You know our desire to step in and to be harvesters. We're wealthy. We're, we have way too much. We have way too much and we, we, we think we have little and we have far more than enough. And we're sorry that we, we haven't been real good at sharing our lives and our what we have with others. Thank you for your forgiving and empowering grace that meets us tonight with a fresh challenge. Clarify that over these next days. Clarify what your word is to us in this season, in this time. One thing that he is saying is something about the poor. So just let that settle in. He's saying something to communitas about the poor. As we prayed about it tonight, one thought that came is when we care for the poor, it will help to release us from materialism, which it's too easy for us to get caught up in. We might think, well, I'm not materialistic. I don't have that much to meet material about. It has nothing to do with how much we have. It has everything to do with our heart. Where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. And so, Father, we want to respond and we want to be available to care, whether that's poor here, poor in India, poor in Russia. We want to care for the poor, as your word tells us that we are to do. Lord, we know your word that says, go into all the world and make disciples, and I will be with you to the ends of the world. I'll be with you. Now, Father, I believe that you are saying, speaking and saying of this word as a go. Physically, go with your feet. Go. Lord, I pray that you would give people that word, Father, as they are saying, yes, Lord, wherever. And for some, it will be going with your money going with your prayers and maybe for some all of the above so thank you Lord that you speak clearly to us we look forward Father to hearing even more from you and we will say yes and we talked in the prayer time that going across the street is just as important as going across the world and so we're we're presenting ourselves available to you I'm going to ask uh, Vinay and Rena and Diane if they would be up here we're going to have prayer right there we're going to invite you in a moment to turn to one another we're also going to have prayer up here Diane and the the couple just want to affirm the word about the poor 
as we just had a little few moments of silence, I felt that the Lord immediately reminded me of when Jesus came out of the wilderness after being tempted by the the enemy, it says, and Jesus returned from the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. And the very first time he stood in a synagogue, he unrolled the scroll of Isaiah. And these are the first words of Jesus in his ministry. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. He has to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And it says the eyes of all of those who were in the place were fixed on him. I really believe that what we've heard tonight is exactly that. The spirit of the sovereign Lord has been upon the Boda family, and he has anointed them to proclaim good news to some of the poorest of the poor on the face of the earth, to set the oppressed free, to set at liberty those that are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And people, even the government leaders of India, have been fixed on this ministry, what Vinay didn't tell you is that the Hindu government of Delhi granted Christopher's dad a Christian TV station license for all of India. You can go on tonight, BibleTV.in.India, and you will 24-7 Christian TV being proclaimed from the poorest of the poor. The TV is broadcast out of the orphanage that the Lord is proclaiming deliverance to the poor. So I just affirm that, that the Lord wants to use us. His hand has always been on the least of these because then he gets all the glory. And so, yeah, I think we need to just keep asking the Lord, what does it mean for us to unroll the scroll and to say, Lord, show us what it looks like at Communitas to be about our Father's business to the poor. Absolutely. I wouldn't have told you this this morning. I wasn't, I wasn't ready to say this. This is, this is something that kind of snuck up on us. So let's pray together. And then I'm going to invite you to turn toward each other. Turn it into a prayer meeting. We're not going to visit. We're not going to get up quickly unless you have to leave now. We're going to turn to one another, two or three, and pray into this. Pray about the poor. Pray about what God will speak to you in the next days. We want to hear from you. Father, we're listening now. We're poised to listen, poised to act, poised to move as you touch our hearts i pray that you would be touching our hearts these next days and dealing with us deal with me in regard to the poor deal with my brothers and sisters here in regard to the poor in regard to our life in regard to our style release us into a a spirit of generosity that will allow you to have your way among us as little as we are that we could impact places far beyond us, far beyond here. So now, just start turning. 
just do it right now. Some of you may want to come forward and get prayer. You're welcome to do that as an option. I want you either praying. Turn to one another. Go ahead. Turn right now.